Good morning, everybody. I want to just quickly add a, <clears throat> a plug to the announcement about the the bet, night in Bethlehem. Um, the children's area has been completely changed. It looks great. Good volunteers set up so the kids can go through a kind of a replica, as we would say, of Bethlehem. Um, so anyway, don't let that, don't let, if you can help it, anything get in your way, uh, bring the kids this afternoon, and I think that um, it'll be good. The scripture I want to look at today, first Sunday of Advent, is in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Um, I like, it has some wording that I think is very clear and helpful. Verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him or acknowledge him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John, that's John the Baptist, testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance... We have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness 
came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is, who, who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Now, on this first Sunday of preparations, what Advent has to do, preparing for the birth of Jesus, there are several questions I think we can ask as to the first visitation of God to us in the earth. Couple the questions simply, hopefully we can answer them. Who are we talking about? What did he do? And why did he do it? The first one, the first question, who is this? You know, we have we have the carols. What child is this? And Mary, did you know? I wonder as I wander out under the stars. Who is this? This is difficult to grasp for any of us. We're talking about the Trinity, and that is difficult to comprehend. So we have to recognize right off the bat that there's some things we simply, with finite and frail human minds, can't quite grasp. There are even two ways no one needs to write this down or memorize it. There are two ways of looking at the Trinity. There's one called the essential Trinity, which is the doctrine of the Trinity, which we can barely grasp by our fingers, fingernails. The second approach to the Trinity is called the economic Trinity. That focuses on the roles that the three persons in the Godhead fill and how the Father planned the plan of salvation, sent His Son, and the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to the light that He brought. We can get a little bit of grasp of how the three persons of the Trinity work together in our salvation. But the, the essential Trinity, trying to plumb the depths of one God, eternally existent in three persons. I can believe it. I can't completely understand and explain it. Now the world makes fun of us about that. They, of course, one of the things people say, well, I don't believe things I don't understand. Well, then you don't believe very much. I can't even understand the physics sometimes of a chair, of electricity. Okay, I don't know how many of you don't know how a car works. Okay, so don't, don't drive one. It's an absurd statement. 
There are things about the infinite God that we will never know even after 10,000 years in heaven. We're finite. Plus, we're scarred and we're fallen. Yet God has let us know and put in words enough that we're without excuse. We, we understand enough. The word that's used here for word, I'm sure you've probably heard it. It's the word logos. It's the Greek word for word. But I can barely get a hold of it. Um, I don't even know if I can do a very good job of explaining it to you. Not that you aren't wise people. It's just difficult. But Jesus is the eternal logos. The word means, in a sense, two things. The thought of the inner heart, both of a human and of God, and the expression of that thought. The thoughts of the heart, the expression of that thought. When John here says, this, these first 18 verses really follow the story of creation, the record in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, looking back through the lens and the light of the New Testament, we look at Genesis 1, and the three persons are immediately revealed. In the beginning, God. The Father created the heaven and the earth. Then it seems to backtrack a bit. Darkness, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. There's the Spirit. So you have God the Father who created the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then the next verse is, And God said. The word said there is logos. The expression of the thought of God's heart, He said eight times in the creation record. We have those words, and God said, let there be light. The first thing he created was light. When John says here that without him, the Logos, nothing was made that was made. God spoke the worlds into being. Psalm 33 said all the hosts of heaven, the armies of the stars and the planets, it says, were created by the breath of his mouth. God created this world and everything we can see in its precision, its almost impossible to understand mechanism of how God upholds it and it works 
all of that he created without lifting a finger. The only record, it seems, of his hands are Adam and Eve. But he spoke, let there be light. Let the earth bring forth. Let the dry land and the sea be separated. Let the earth bring forth abundantly. Let there be plants, seed bearing their own seed within them. All of these things. He said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. Fish. Let the earth bring forth creeping things and the beasts of the earth. He spoke it. His word then, his word is power, is light, is effect. When he says it, it's done. He doesn't have to do anything else. The force and the power, which again, I just can't, I don't, I can't explain it, is the logos. And John then points out that that word, which we'll notice here in the very last verse we read, the unique one, in most versions, the term is the only begotten son. The only begotten son literally means no one else like him. This unique one, the only begotten son, it says, is near to the Father's heart. Logos means, is the very expression of the deep innermost thoughts of our hearts. It applies to people too. What we say is linked to what we are in our heart. We're expressing ourselves. This is why Jesus said several things that ought to get our attention. He said, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Out of the overflow, he said, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we speak, we're expressing, it's logos, we're expressing who and what we really are. A lot of times, now, and I know I'm not talking here about just misstatements or you know, mispronunciations or unintentional, you know, use the wrong word. I'm not talking about that. But there, how many times do people say, you know, I never really meant that? Yeah, you, you probably did. You just see you're paying a price for saying it, so now you're backtracking. Everybody, now, late, well, I do it all the time, but lately we've been hearing, someone says something about Israel. And they get a furnace blast in their face for saying it. And then suddenly they didn't mean to say it. They didn't really say it. They didn't mean that at all. In fact, I really like Israel. No, you said, what's in here? So did God. So did God. And when he spoke, that word then became embodied. It became incarnate in human flesh. The word, the thoughts of God's heart. 
appeared in human flesh in front of us. I can't get a good grasp on all that. But that's who he sent into the world. The thoughts of God's heart, clothed with flesh, stood before us. Jesus then is, Jesus is God's heart. He's God's heart. He's the deepest thoughts that God's ever thought. And he assumed human form and walked and talked and taught among us. And we see the record here that he came and there's two levels here. It says, he came into his own world and the world didn't recognize him. And the, world, the word there doesn't mean they just didn't know who he was. It meant they didn't acknowledge him. They didn't accept him for who he was. They rejected him. Then it goes further. It says it came to, this version's good. It says it, he came to his very own people. It's like he came into the whole world that he made, but then he made his way to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, the one the Father chose, the nation, the people that he chose, through whom he would send his Son. And that nation was intended to be the world's evangelists. Christ came through them and the, their task was to be the spreaders of this gospel. Now the writers of scripture for the most part, the early apostles were, but as a whole, the nation of Israel, whom God intended to be a nation, it says of priests, rejected it. So God turned to the Gentiles. Now, notice verse 5, 2. After not completely finishing, establishing who it is that came into the world, you can see why verse 5, notice this, end of 4. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, this introduces us to another whole point. We are in, I, I don't have the words. I wish I did. We are in the conflict. It is a life or death. Struggle to the death conflict of the ages. There is no conflict like this one. The light came into the world and the darkness can't put it out. Not for not trying. The darkness does its best and has since the Garden of Eden the darkness 
is all in for extinguishing the light and is consistently, diligently, constantly seeking to put out the light. But this says it's never been able to extinguish the light. And it isn't going to be. We, and, and, and I include myself here, we're too afraid. We see people in power, or we think they have power, and we see them speaking against God and against the truth. And there are myriads of them. As our country turns away from its founding, and I learned just, it's been about the last two or three days, it's been a stunning reversal of what I thought and what a lot of other people thought. I didn't realize that this country was not started by Christians and had a Christian basis. Who would know? Here I've gone more than 70 years thinking that God had something to do with our country, only to find out that a couple of empty-headed, blowhard Democrats of a couple days ago have declared that's not true at all. Oh, man, my whole... What are we having Christmas for? Now, my first reaction wasn't fear, is teeth gritting. I haven't got much left. <laughs> but I shouldn't even do that. You can't extinguish the logos, the thoughts of God's heart that he sent in the world to be light. You're going to extinguish that? It can't happen. They've been given it their best for thousands of years and have failed every time. A thought that would take too long. But you go to the Garden of Eden. Here's something we need to remember. The devil, the devil is second under God. He's more powerful than we are. That's why we're not to fool with him. We are to, these people who go around and say, I rebuke you, Satan. He, I don't know how long he lays on his back laughing at that. Don't do that. Michael the archangel, Jude said, didn't even do that. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. We don't have any power or business taken on the devil in that sense. But through Jesus, we don't have anything to worry about. He's been here a while. From the garden, the devil did his best to snuff out light, wreck God's creation, and go after God's highest creation, a free moral agent that he made in God's image and likeness, and destroy us. But the devil, not being God, here's one thing we need to remember. God is omniscient. That includes foreknowledge. 
God knows everything that is, everything that will be. Now, foreknowledge doesn't mean predestination. God knows what will happen, and he knows his plan. Satan doesn't have foreknowledge. So Satan always overplays his hand. It looked like Adam and Eve, Adam was created first, he's the head of the race. When the test was put against him to disobey God and assume to himself power that only belonged to God and determine that he would substitute God's power and ownership and authority over him and replace it with his own. It looked as if there was no hope for the race other than just obliteration. Here's one thing. Why? Because the head of the race, the fountainhead of the race, Adam, was polluted. Meaning that every subsequent generation would likewise be polluted. That's happened. The scripture is so clear. Early in Genesis chapter 5, talks about how God made Adam in his image and likeness. And then it says, and Adam had a son named Seth. This was after Abel was killed. He had a son and named him Seth. And he was born, it says, in his, Adam's, image and likeness. Every one of us, every one of us, look when we're born. Spiritually, we look just like our dad, Adam. We're born with a sinful nature, an inclination to reject God's authority and his claims over us. Every single human being. The whole race is corrupted. If you're the devil, you think, I pulled, boy, I pulled something off here. But here's, again, he doesn't have foreknowledge. What's God going to do? The entire race is wrecked. It's turned against its maker. It's poisoned against its maker. What's he do? The devil never, it never came into his head that the Logos would become a human and take on himself human flesh, be born of a virgin, thus bypassing the transmission of the inherited sinful nature. The devil never bargained for that. He isn't smarter than God. You can't extinguish the light. Down through History, how many times did it look like the people of God, the people God chose to bring Christ into this world through, they're going to be destroyed. Egypt and the slavery. Throw every male baby into the Nile River and we'll end this whole race. How'd that work out? Well, God ended up having Moses, Pharaoh's daughter, finds him. And I know, I know God's got a sense of humor. 
His sister Miriam is hiding in the brush next to the river. And Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. And she takes the lid off of this little reed boat that she'd made for him. And this, God knows what he's doing. As soon as he took the lid off, says, and the baby wept. He knew how to get to her heart. And she said, oh, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She immediately decided, I'm not doing what my dad said. I'm not going to throw him in the water. I'm going to save him. Moses means drawn out of the water. And so out of the brush comes Miriam, his sister, says, would you like me to get a nurse to kind of take? Yeah. She says, and I'll pay you. So what does she do? Goes home and gets Moses' mom. Yeah, I think I could be the nurse. And she gets paid. The guy that was going to destroy them ends up paying to raise the one that would destroy his country. The light can't be extinguished. Haman, along with the king of the Persians, Esther was the queen. Let's I'm not going to just hang Mordecai. There's just one, one Jew that won't bow down to me. So what if he's uncle to Esther? He found that out later. I don't want to just kill him. I want to kill every Jew in the whole kingdom. Let's wipe out the whole race. King says, yeah, great idea. Stamps it, gives him his ring. This is great. Well, we know that story. Haman got, Haman got hanged on the 75-foot-high gallows that he set up for Mordecai. And then, what led up to it, God wove a web here, and Esther says, you know, king, I got something to say to you. I want you to come to a banquet. Bring Haman. And Haman goes home and tells his family, can you believe it? He said, I only got invited with the king. Man, he's got his thumbs in his bib overalls, and he is just. And he says, he called all of his friends, he called all of his relatives, and he told them, man, I'm on, I am on the upward climb. And the truth of the matter is, I believe, without a question, he was really bucking for king. Because when the king called Mordecai in and he said, there's a guy, or called Haman in, he said, there's a guy, um, he's a Jew, Mordecai, and we've just been reading in the records, and there was a plot to assassinate me, and he ratted him out. And he says, we've not, there's no record that we gave him a gift or honored him for doing that. And so he says to Haman, he says, Haman, what should the, we do for somebody the king wants to honor? Well, Haman assumed it says. In his heart, he believed it was him. And so, he, boy, he waxed eloquent. Well, let him ride on the king's horse, wear the king's robe, wear the king's cr- crown, wear the king's ring. Haman was looking, to, hey, I'd like to displace this guy. I want to be a king. King says, man, that's the best idea I've ever heard. Go get Mordecai. 
and my horse and my robe and my ring and go before him through the whole palace grounds saying, this is the man the king wants to honor. Well, he went home after that with his face covered. He had a grocery sack over his head. And he went to his house. And his own family, when he told them what happened, his own family says, you're cooked. You start to fall before them, you're a goner. Well, meanwhile, he couldn't think about it too long because he's got to get ready for this banquet that uh, Esther has invited him and the king only to. So he goes there. And they end up with a second banquet because she's a little afraid to tell what's going on. But finally, she says to the king, there's somebody somebody in the kingdom that's trying to kill me. I'm a Jew. Mordecai's my uncle. Trying to kill us all. We haven't done anything. And the king is furious. Who would think of such a thing? And she says, Haman. Probably Haman got a bit worried. Um, His underarm deodorant wasn't helping him much. And the king goes out into the garden, just pacing back and forth to try to figure out, what am I going to do? Meanwhile, in the last stroke, and God did it, Haman falls on the couch, the recliner that they ate on, he falls on the couch where Esther is. And he's basically, I mean, he, the king comes in and he explodes and he says, will he, Haman, will he force the king's, will he force the queen while I'm in the house? He thought, rape. I mean, <laughs> listen, When God lays a trap for you, and when he springs it, you're done. He saved that nation. You keep going through the Old Testament. Finally, you come to when Herod said, where's this new king that I've heard of born? Well, he's in Bethlehem. So he sent and killed every male child from two years old and under. But Jesus and Mary and Joseph were in Egypt because God got him up in the middle of the night and he said, Herod's seeking the child's life. He's no threat. Go to Egypt. And of course, the ultimate put him on a cross. There again, the devil overplayed his hand. Let's kill him. You can't extinguish the light. The light is not going to be extinguished. One quick, I'm old enough to remember this. I don't know how many of you remember Madeline Murray O'Hara, okay, or O'Hare, or whatever. It doesn't make any difference. I can still remember as a kid, and she was around so long that even when I was brand new in the ministry and started pastoring my first church, I would get letters, warning letters, from national organizations, church organizations, Madeline Murray O'Hara is trying to get rid of preaching on the radio. Billy Graham, put him out of business, trying to shut everything down. Can't be on television. And I can remember people calling me. They'd gotten letters. What are we going to do? Madeline Murray O'Hara. Listen. I know God knows a sparrow before they fall to the ground. So he knew about Madeline Murray O'Hara. She was really way down on his list. She ended up, we think, 
they think, after they did their best to try to identify her bones, maybe her son killed her, somebody killed her, buried her way out in the middle of the desert, I think in Texas. You can't extinguish the light. The world's always trying. They'll never quit. We, we need to stop being surprised. And we shouldn't be afraid. You can't extinguish the logos. The very thought of heart. God's heart. We're not going to extinguish that. That's the encouragement, the hope, the guarantee we have. The light's never going to be extinguished. Quickly, what did he come to do? 14, verse 14, John writes, So the Word became human, and I like that he made his home among us. What, what a touching, he made his home. He came and moved in in our neighborhood. He took up residence. And the word here, some versions even use this word. He tented among us. It was a temporary visit. And his ministry was just three years. But he made his home here. I could say a lot more things which are grateful I don't have time to say. But what does, what does this say about us? It says humans are redeemable. And we say, even in Christian circles, we say we can never be, have clean hands and a pure heart because we're human. And humans are, we have all, you know, whatever drives and needs and physical, psychological um, desires, or whatever, it's all wicked and filthy and dirty and icky. We've got this attitude. We're just human. He became human. There must be something about humanity that is not an offense to God. Here's why. Because sin isn't in humanity. Sin is in my spirit. It's in my heart. My body is not the problem. It can be a vehicle, an instrument for sin or for good. But the problem, Jeremiah said it. He didn't say the body is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? Desperately wicked. Deceitful beyond. He didn't say that. He said the heart of man is deceitful beyond anything we can know and desperately wicked. The heart is the problem. And God came to redeem my heart from the heart of God. The heart of God took on flesh and came to straighten out my heart and your heart. And there's nothing too hard for Him. And there's no stain of sin that He can't remove. So we don't need to say, and it's wrong to say, well, we'll only have a certain level of spiritual knowledge and grace that we're human and we're just sin all the time. No, we don't. Not if God gets His way. That's why He came. And finally, we see in the 
last sentence of the last verse of our reading. He himself is near to the Father's heart. And it means face to face with the Father. He's joined with the Father. He's a distinct person. But not another, another God. We serve one God. But this logos, the expression of God's heart, he's next to God's heart. He has revealed God to us. That's what he came. He came to reveal... Now, God, of course, had been well slandered. Most people, and to this very day, people are exactly the same. They're scared to death of God. They are nervous of ever getting very close to God. And we repeat to this very day the same thing Adam and Eve did the minute they hear the voice of God. They run and they hide. And they try to cover themselves so they're not exposed. That's been going on since the garden and it hasn't changed one bit. And so people are hesitant. They have all kinds of wrong ideas about God. So God, God's great heart towards us, He loves us enough that He gave His Son. And so He says, I'm going to enflesh the thoughts of my own heart and send my Son into the world so He can walk among them, show them He's kind, faithful, good, powerful, forgiver of sins, healer of diseases, King of kings. I'm going to send Him, sacrifice Him to reveal my heart. Jesus came to reveal God to us. That's why, that's why he sent him into the world. We have a choice, of course. We see it in this passage. Some received him, some didn't. Some reject, some accept. Some believe, you see it all through Scripture. Some believed, some didn't. That's our choice. Finally, there's, there's a little phrase in one of the Psalms that comes to mind. Psalm 33, where it speaks about God creating everything with breath of His mouth. And it says this, another reminder. It says, God nullifies the plans of the nations. And he brings their plans to nothing. But, it says, his truth and his commands are forever. And the thoughts of his heart, which that's Jesus, the thoughts of his heart endure to all generations. We have God. We have Him by the Holy Spirit in our midst. What, what can we fear? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's bow our heads.
Father in heaven, now we know when we look at the manger scene, Lord, we see the love of God and we see your heart revealed even in that child, Lord, that was headed for a cross to redeem us back into a relationship with you. Boy, Lord, I pray for each one of us listening to our pastor this morning that this Christmas season may land on us a little bit differently than it ever has before. In the darkness of, the, of this world that we see going on around us, the light shines brightly in our Savior. And we see God revealed in him each and every day, all through Scripture. So, Father, may that help us to get up and leave this place today with a renewed hope and a renewed joy and a renewed love for you that we would go out and demonstrate our love back to you in what you've done for us. And if there is someone, Lord, that has listened to this message today and listened to my prayer this morning that is not called upon the name of the Lord, all excuses have been taken away now. And it's time for them to mind you, to be obedient to you when you lay it upon their heart that salvation is theirs if they just reach out and call upon your name. So, Father, thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the clarity on now we know when people ask us who God is, we see the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So this Christmas season, may we have hope and peace that surpasses all understanding found in that message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.